Welcome to Just Hit Record, where we talk about the life and lives of the ever-growing community of immigrants. Join us as we rant about what it's like to live the reality of the Western world through the eyes of your hosts, Pranay and Sandeep. Hey guys, welcome back to Just Hit Record. Today's conversation is a bit around numbers, specifically salaries. It it can be a confusing topic. I mean, salary is always confusing when you're just starting out in your own country. But if you're somebody who's coming in from the outside, it's hard to tell what's a good salary and what's a bad salary. It's hard to tell what's a lot of money and what's not. So Prana and I are here to kind of break it down for you. So Prana, let's start with you. What's your salary? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> it's it's not enough. <laughs> it's but, never enough. Yeah, the, I think that's the part that, you know, figuring out what that number is that's enough is is part of the part of that equation that you need to you need to understand when you're accepting a job offer if you're negotiating one. And um a lot of it But one minute. To, one minute. Do you do you think that's part of when you're starting getting your first job out offer out of school? Do you think you even have that option? Uh, do you mean anyone who's accepting a job, or specifically as as an immigrant? Specifically as an immigrant. Yeah. You do you have... think you have the luxury of uh, knowing what is good enough for you, or you just take what you get because well, you're an immigrant. I think it. You definitely have to consider the fact that there's a minimum that you should be making even if you are a min- an immigrant um because you you can easily factor in how much rent costs how much because you're not going to go eat into your savings just to just to stay in the country at least i wouldn't so if you can do that much research in terms of what the cost of living of you know the place that you're moving to is you can figure out what's a good starting salary and actually there's a lot of websites that help you do that so you don't have to go and individually factor in how much groceries are going to cost or how much um, rent is going to be. What I did was, uh, this is more for my second job. So when I was changing jobs, I would compare my original salary with what that salary would be equal to in the new city. So the new city could be, the cost of living might be less there. So if you're moving from New York City to say somewhere down south, New York City is a lot more expensive, so you get a lot more bang for your buck if you're moving down south because groceries might be cheaper, rent's definitely cheaper there. And I did that when I was moving across country from New York to California. Between In terms of cities, they're probably the same. Maybe the city in California is a little bigger, and I didn't know how to factor in the costs. And all I did was put in the number in this website, there's a bunch of them out there that have pretty accurate information, and it just is a direct comparison. It told me that uh, groceries are going to cost 25% more over here, so you might want to factor that in. Rent's probably going to be a little more. You might want to factor that in, and it gives you a rough number on which you can negotiate. Because when you do go and try and negotiate with your p- employers, they're going to want some basis for you throwing a number at them. You don't have to necessarily tell them that I looked it up on this website and that's what it said. But you do have to at least have, um, if you throw a number that doesn't make any sense to them, because they know how much it costs to live in that city. I mean, they're not coming in blind-eyed. 
they're less likely to negotiate with you or even want to negotiate. So yes, to answer your question, coming in first job, it's obviously harder to because you don't have any experience. What are you bringing to the table, really? Like, there's a it's harder bunch- to negotiate uh, on your first job, I and mean, it can be intimidating. It can be, but it's important that you remember that that is accepted. Like, you are allowed to negotiate. You don't. I mean, you might risk the job offer, but you have to decide if it's worth the risk. If it's if it's a matter of getting five percent over what they're offering you, maybe don't take the risk. But if they are not paying you what you think is a fair salary, then it might be worth the risk to to try and negotiate it up. And worst case, if you don't get it, hope that you can get something better. Because it, I'd say that uh, that initial job offer, you know, how they value you how, in terms of whatever monetary value they put on your services, that speaks volumes for the company that you're about to join. You know, the, the fact that they, they maybe pay a little less is fine but if they're paying you way under market value for what someone in your position should be making you should be questioning why you're joining that company in the first place i mean i guess you got i mean you did it the right way for me in my case i was running out of time so i just i accepted the first offer that i got and it was horrible it was like 12 50 cents an hour was that even minimum wage at that point, or maybe minimum just wage in the U.S. up until today is even now it's like seven dollar fifty cents. It so minimum wage changes from state to state, but yeah, yeah, on average, I'd say it's about about nine or eight or nine bucks. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I remember I went to San Francisco, and there, I think if you worked at uh, one of the burger places, they were paying thirteen dollars. So I was like, wow, wonderful. So I'm making less than minimum wage at my job compared to California. But then that was California. And I was working, say, Pennsylvania, West Virginia. But no, but I honestly had no, like, I had no leverage. And so I just had to have a job because for me, I was running out of time. You get a certain number of days within which you need to find a full-time job that pays you. And uh, it was that or I had to go home. So I took what they gave me. I knew I was being lowballed. Yeah. See, but at that point, it was a make or break sort of. I understand period. being in that situation. It can feel like that your back's against the wall and you should take whatever uh, whatever is placed in front of you because you feel fortunate enough to at least have an offer. And trust me, I was in that situation. Even with my first company, when they initially offer, uh, came to the table and offered me the job, it was not anything I thought I would be making when I started, you know, it was pretty low. And uh, I told them, I think it was around, I want to say around $22 an hour is what they were starting me on. Oh my God. It was really low for what, um, you know, I had just graduated with my master's. Engineering job at a big firm. Yeah. Yeah. uh... So I told them, no. And it was really easy for me to say no to that because I had a number in my mind and I knew I was not going to make six figures starting out. So I had a, a rough idea of what it would take to make rent and, you know, have live comfortably in around that location. And uh, it was definitely not what they were offering me. And I said no. And I because they knew that they were lowballing me they and they needed, they needed someone desperately as well. Especially since I'd I'd kind of made a good impression on the employer at that point, they came back to the table and they said, "Okay, 
this is what we can do for you and they they met me halfway was it the exact number i wanted no it was still lower than that but it was higher than their original offer so i completely get it be feeling like you are cornered and you know especially when you have that 90 day uh timer running out on you to find employment or get out of the country it's it's easy to feel like that that's your only option but the other thing you should remember is that when you start off and you accept your first job uh, you're also setting the benchmark for what your future salaries could look like it's not necessarily a truth that is going to be uh, you know it's the law that you, they have to base your salary off your previous salary but a lot of times um, if you are starting off at a certain rate, even within the same company, let's say you start off at around $60,000 at your first job, you know, if you are going to look for that raise or for that change in position that might be a promotion, they're going to weigh out what they're going to pay you next based off of what you were making before in a lot of companies. It's not always the case, but a lot of companies will say you're making 60 right now. This is what a 10% bump looks like for you. And if lucky. If you're lucky with that. So if you start off at a low number that you knew was unfair going in, but it landed you the job and you plan on sticking it out at this company specifically for a while, yeah, you're going to be stuck there. And the other thing that does happen with, especially in the in the engineering sector or in tech, is that when you join a company as a newcomer, the going rate for someone in your position is, let's say, $75,000 per annum. And you let's say you've been at this company for two years at this point. You know, you came in at 75. Your salary hasn't really changed as much. Maybe a couple of percent up because of inflation or whatever raise they gave you. But uh, you're hovering around 78,000 at this point. Two years later, the going rate for someone in Europe for a new engineer, a new hire might be $80,000 an hour. And you, so two years into this job, you're already making less than what the going rate would be for someone who came in the door that day. And um, that is something that happens regardless. It's not really in your control. Uh, there's actually a term for it, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name for what that term is, but it does happen. And that's why people tend to ch change jobs or change positions within company, look for those promotions to avoid that. Because you don't want to be the person stuck in that same position for 10 years and you see new people coming in the door and making, you know, way more than you made the first day you signed that contract so i don't know was that something that you you witnessed when you like let's say you said you you got lowballed on your first job offer and you accepted it when you walked in on that first day obviously no one's disclosing their salaries but over time did you find out that you know maybe this this is what the going rate should be and you know there's room to negotiate now or what do i do about this um, if I'll be honest, uh, when I accepted that job offer, I knew that was not going to be my career. I, I, I'd made a pact with myself that I would stick it out for a year. I knew that long term, there was no future in the company because it's not like you can grow and be in a different position. You're just going to keep repeating that very same job day in, day out for the rest of your career in that company. So I knew I had to move on. So it was a one-year pact. I didn't even bother trying to negotiate. I was like, you know, that's fine. And I, I'm pretty sure that for that same particular position, they were paying people at least $17. But I just needed somebody to sign off. I needed, On my paperwork, so I could stay in the country. When I did switch from that job to another one, um, I had certain minimum conditions. And that was also, they were paying me hourly. And 
and I accepted it. Again, didn't like the job. And after that, I just quit the US. The whole idea of negotiating and worried about what your salary might look after a certain point or after a few years started dawning on me once I moved to Canada. The thing with Canada is also that when you have immigrated newly over here, they look for something called the Canadian experience. And they kind of use that against you uh, in your first job and try and lowball you. Like, oh, well, you have worked, but you don't have Canadian experience, which is a lot of bunch of crap. It's like I worked in the US. How different can that be from Canada? So I did get lowballed quite a bit on my first job. But when I switched to my current job, I think they gave me starting out what was um, appropriate. Now the question is, I'm like, all right, how do I grow within the company? I think one of the bad things was I didn't negotiate when I when they did offer it to me, mostly because they offered me something which um, I was at that point quite happy. Now I look back, I probably should have negotiated. Anyways, uh, for the most part, I was pretty happy with the salary that they were giving me. Uh, how that's going to pan out in the long term, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I have to switch positions or is it going to stay stagnant, but it's definitely a conversation in my mind. I do know that they pay above the national average for most of the positions. So that's good. There are lots of benefits, which is also something to consider. You know, it's not usually just that number that you get. You also have to consider the kind of benefits that the company gives you and include all of that. Uh, if there's a company that's paying you, I don't know, a six-figure salary in the US, but there is no health benefits and no health insurance, that could get very tricky. Like you could go into serious debt overnight. Yeah, if you're unhealthy, even if you are a healthy person that doesn't normally use the the benefits or actually going to the doctor regularly, anything can happen at any point that yeah. you might need the care and then you'll just see this huge You're bill. screwed. Yeah, you're, you're basically, yeah. you might even go into debt just because you didn't have that insurance on your Yeah, you most likely will. Like even if you're making a good six-figure salary, there's no way you'll be able to cope with the kind of cost that comes with U.S. Uh, uh, medical uh, bills. Whereas in Canada, a certain amount of that medical bills is taken care of by the government. So health insurance is not exactly one of the major benefits that you keep on the lookout. It's pretty standard across all companies. Yeah, I just want to mention one thing. Um, since we are talking about the negotiation process, when I actually signed on for this job, the the manager your new job my new job my current job which was i i signed on for it last year uh it was in the middle of covid i actually uh had come in for the interview prior to covid hitting so i met with the manager but before i actually came in the door um we were speaking on the phone he had his initial interview with me just via the phone and i completed that part and they wanted to bring me into the location in california and he just, in the email itself, he mentioned, listen, I don't know what your salary requirements are. If you let me know, I can, you know, check with HR and make sure we're on the same page with this because I don't want you coming here and us not having discussed that. And I was thrown off, completely off guard with that question because I didn't know what to say. Do I? Because the minute you put something down in an email, you're also leaving a trace of that in terms of a record, right? You said, oh, yeah. but you said 90,000. Now you're asking for six figures. And I don't, at that point, I had not even, I was not so far into the process where I'd even researched the cost of living in this new location. So I didn't necessarily have a number in mind. 
And I also knew that this person, he must be looking at other candidates and I need to at least give him some form of response. So I, in a very roundabout way, I did, you know, I looked up online what to do in these situations and almost everyone said, you have this conversation in person. You do not do this over an email, even if they are pushing for some sort of information. Yeah. You very politely tell them, uh, listen, I feel like I I would love to meet you and actually come to the facility and um, see what the job is about to make sure that we're a good fit. And uh, having said that, I've also got X number of years experience in this position and I just want to be fairly compensated for whatever, for that experience as well. And uh, I'm sure we can come to a, a fair uh, number once I come there. And he said, fine, like that was it. See, because he was not, he put that out there maybe because he wanted to make sure I was not going to throw some crazy number at him. But at yeah. the same time, I could have easily lowballed myself right then and there. And then when I actually come in for the interview, because it's very hard for someone sitting across from you to say no to your face, right? You might throw a number at them that is, you know, I want $200,000 for this job. Yeah, I'm going to say flat out no. But even if there's the slightest wiggle room with what with the number that you throw out, it's harder to say no to someone when they're sitting right in front of you versus you sent an email and you're going to get anxious waiting for a response. Did I throw out the wrong number? Was it too high? Was it too low? And uh, so I only bring this up because this is something that can happen, especially these days when so many of the interviews actually happen via video uh, initially. And they might try and do the negotiation part uh, via email they'll copy hr make sure that you know everyone's in the loop but you then have to take charge and make sure that you're not throwing out numbers that you would later regret and that means doing your research and having those conversations in person and uh, it's a very different conversation because i had the same conversation when i finally did come to the location completed the interview process this person was probably even more impressed with what I had to offer. Because before that, they were basing it off of a phone conversation and my resume. When you meet someone right. in person, there's so many nonverbal cues. There's so much that can work in your favor that can drive your number up. Your brand or whatever value you bring to the table can go up right then and there. Because that's in your control. So it worked out for the best. At the time, I didn't know if I'd shot myself in the foot by not giving a number. But I would say if you come into that situation um, during your process of looking for a job, yeah, don't don't throw a number out unless you're absolutely sure you can live with that number. Yeah, because if it's too low, then uh, you're going to kick yourself in the butt. And if it's too high, then you risk losing the job because they'll be like, well, this guy is nuts. So it, it is a tricky situation. I do want to throw out a few numbers just to give people kind of an idea. So would you say that in general, when you're starting out, say your first job, 45 to 60 is usually what is considered the median ground for the most part as a starting salary? Yes, I'd say unless you're living in a really expensive city like New York City or LA, um, yeah. you're most likely that'll be the range that would be expected of someone who who is working with at least some amount of experience. And that could be even your just your educational experience that you bring to the table. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's considered like a, that's usually what the median average I would say is for a starting salary. And of course, you know, 60,000 in Texas, Louisiana, all these places is absolutely doable uh, because rent is cheaper. Everything's cheaper. I mean, I was renting an entire apartment that was about 900 square feet for $700 in Louisiana, whereas right now I'm in Toronto and one room costs me $1,100. So, uh, and that's considered, that's probably on the cheaper side of things. And I'm not even in downtown Toronto. So 60,000 is probably a pretty good salary if you're just starting out in Texas. However, if say, you know, sometimes they hire you and they're like, oh, you're going to live in Jersey. 60,000 over there, best of luck. You're probably going to live with like five roommates. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen those situations play out as well. Because again, people are desperate to get land a job of some kind you know someone offers you a job after months of you looking you're going to try and cling on to it and just say yes to whatever's put on the table but you have to remember that there are consequences to saying that yes and maybe sixty thousand is doable and like you said in in texas in most i'd say most of the country that's a decent number but um Uh, you better look at the ones where it isn't going to play out. You know, if you are moving to New York City or Jersey or any of those places around there that uh, have a higher cost of living, you're shooting yourself in the foot with that number because you're going to have to make accommodations with, uh, you know, in terms of your living situation, your monthly expenses. You'll have to control it somewhere, right? You'll have to take, uh, you'll have to own up to the fact that you threw out a low number for your salary. So you'll have to make amends and change your living situation somewhere. Yeah, and 60,000 is pretty decent because, well, uh, let's, if you're assuming, you know, 25% of your salary goes to a rent and another 25%, uh, let's say, is going, not 25, I would say about 30 to 40% of your salary then goes to your car lease and, which is another thing, a factor which depends, right? If you're in New York, you don't need a car. If you're anywhere else, and that's an added expense of anywhere between 500 to $1,000. Yeah. That that's a lot right of out of your pocket. Right. Yeah. You definitely have to factor that in. Yeah. Owning a car can get quite expensive, especially if you are an immigrant and you have no driving record and you're getting a car, you have to get insurance. And that insurance could be upwards of three to four hundred dollars. So you those are major expenses that you really need to factor in and see whether your salary is going to cover all of that. But yeah, I and I, I agree with you in, on certain aspects where, you know, if you do accept, say, a lower salary in the beginning, that might kind of set the tone for your future prospects. But more so in Canada, that's definitely not the situation. Like, there is no way that they care or bother themselves with what your previous salary was. That's at least been my experience. I'm sure there are shady companies that will always try and compensate you low. But for the most part, they're like, this is what we are offering. This is what I always ask is, what is the what is your budget for this position? And I always ask the HR person, if there has been an HR in Canada, I'm like, what is the budget for this position? And they tell me. More times they will. Especially if it's a bigger company, they that person on the phone doesn't really give a shit about how much is paying. They're like, this is the budget and they need to fill a position. It's as mechanical as that. There are no emotions involved. It's not a small company. So that's probably one of the uh, questions that you definitely should ask. It's like the HR person, how much are you willing to compensate for this position? They'll give you a number. They'll give you a low end and a high end and see if, you know, if they ask you a number in the future, keep yourself within that uh, range if you can. Yeah, I think I just want to uh, add that 
what I was trying to say was when you agree to a number, if you are planning on staying at that company for Oh a, yes. That number can bite you in the ass later. You know, because yes, especially if it's something that you realize later was a mistake, like you should have maybe asked for more because of the reasons I explained earlier, right? You know, new people walk in the door and fill in the same position, but they get paid higher because that's just the going rate at that point. And you didn't know that and you didn't necessarily do all the research required when you were negotiating and you accepted, but you have to, ex- and again, I-, I agree with you. If you're moving to a different company, that goes out the window. No one's really going to check with your previous employer and say, how much were you paying this person? And uh, yeah. that's not the basis for the negotiation then. But yeah, if you are planning on staying a few years at a certain company, you want to get paid fairly. You want to be compensated for the work you're doing. And that's a good question to ask, actually. You know, what's the budget? Because you're right. A lot of the recruiters that do contact you initially, that reach out initially, they're not necessarily part of the process beyond that point they have a working yes. budget they just have the numbers or the you know just the facts with them about the position and that's one of the facts is like this is how much they're willing to spend on someone in this position so that's a good way of uh, asking that question yeah i i think i was an idiot i was happy with the salary and i knew that they were giving me like the lower end of the budget the, the range was only five grand but i don't know why i never uh negotiated i keep asking myself that question it wasn't much i mean five grand spread out over 12 months after taxes is barely anything but i guess at some point it's also your ego right i think i think you learn like you learned i don't think the next time you're going to have a negotiation you're not going to ask for that extra because the worst case is they'll say no like no this is all we're offering and you'll be like okay cool I asked, they just said no. Right. I still get whatever, whatever the minimum was and I walk away. Yeah. All right. I think um, that was, uh, that covers almost everything that we wanted to touch upon with regards to salary. I'm sure that there are probably a million other scenarios that you guys, whoever is listening, might have. So if you do have questions, please write in to us on Twitter at JHR Podcast. That's Just Hit Record, JHR Podcast. And until then, until next week, when we catch you on another episode, take care and we'll see you on Just Hit Record. <laughs>